Welcome to the Next Point Wins, an NBA podcast brought to you by two lifelong friends who kind of hate each other but love basketball. What to do, baby? What up, Carl? What's going on, man? Yo, Carmelo Anthony's fucking back. What's that? Carmelo Anthony's fucking back. (laughs) Yeah, back in the league after... I guess a full calendar year. Although it doesn't it feel like it's been longer than that. Yeah, no, it, it it feels like it's been a long time, but he's back. Signed with the Portland Trailblazers with a non-guaranteed contract. What are you feeling? I mean, you watch more Camelo than most people. Unfortunately, yeah. So yeah, so I guess last played this time last year with the Rockets a short stint there where he was sort of scapegoated for their early season troubles. That match seemed to be weird from the beginning because, as you mentioned, Carmelo was in New York at the same time as D'Antoni, and it seemed like those two guys probably never got along there, and it seems like Melo's style of play doesn't necessarily suit D'Antoni's coaching style. Um, So he was out of Houston pretty quick. And then it just feels like, I mean, the name, it it feels like his name was floated around for so long that it feels like he's been out of the league for years, but resurfaces in Portland, a Portland team that's obviously struggling, uh, not meeting their, their expectations, not meeting their standards set from last year's Western Conference Finals appearance, which is easy to forget. They lost Myers Leonard, they lost Mo Harkless, they lost Aminu. Um, now they just lost Zach Collins to injury. They lost Jurkic to injury. So they are looking for that, you know, stretch four slash three player. And I guess Mello maybe fills that void. Yeah. So if you're with the Portland Trailblazers, you're probably looking for a big man and like some wing defenders. So Camelo hits zero of those categories. <laughs> I don't see how this is going to help the Blazers at all. Uh, Well, that's why it's a non-guaranteed contract. I mean, we, you know, the fans and the media see the name Carmelo Anthony and we get excited, you know, but we then we forget that, you know, he's 35 years old or whatever he is, one year removed from being in the NBA, probably three years removed from being decent in the NBA, you know, five years removed from being good in the NBA. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't expect him to still be on the team at the end of the year if I'm being honest, but I'd be lying if I said I'm not very interested in monitoring the situation. I definitely want to keep tabs on it. You know, we'll get in a little later to our our games to watch um, this weekend. But, you know, you got to think that a a Blazers game is going to be on there, um, especially given some of their opponents coming up. But, you know, I mean, I, I would bet smart money that he's not going to be on the roster at the end of the year. But let's see how it goes. I mean, we probably would have said four years ago, as his Knicks career was floundering and coming to an end, that the Blazers would be a perfect match. Here you've got the do-it-all kind of like – or like dirty man, big, and Jurkic with the two star players being in the backcourt. They were missing that kind of wing presence. And so it seemed like it would have been a logical destination. But, of course, Carmelo Anthony couldn't get out of the way of his own ego – to go to like, you know, a place like the Pacific Northwest for him, it was LA, New York, Miami, or bust. But so the match is interesting. And even if it is four years too late. Yeah. I mean, so I am of the opinion this is not going to work at all, but if I'm playing like devil's advocate, like trying to build a case for Mello, like you saw Dwight Howard be a career selfish player in the first 10 games of his Lakers career, he looks pretty fucking good right so if you can maybe pull that out of mel like hey look at dwight howard as a role model which i would say to no nba player or any basketball player ever and just emulate what he does and just find a niche and a role maybe he could be successful i don't think he can but i'm just trying to build the case like you know like like there there is a way that this will work no that's a great player comparison with very similar career arcs i mean you know dwight howard's peak was 2000 and was that eight NBA finals, I think. Right. Or no, 2009 NBA finals. I think it went Celtics, Lakers in 08 Celtics won Lakers magic 
in 09 yep. with the Lakers winning and then Lakers Celtics rematch in 2010, if I remember correctly. So yeah. Yep. So, but in, in any event, Dwight Howard's peak was 10 years ago. You sort of forgot about him these last three years. He bounced around different franchises and everything. You sort of thought he was done. And then here he is sort of reinventing himself as a, you know, veteran. But I mean, if, when you, the only thing I'd be nervous about is Look at his physical shape and conditioning, and do you think Melo's showing up to the Blazers that same way? No, I mean, I think just to sum up this, uh, Carmelo Anthony, uh, I'm just going to quote my boy Jay-Z. No matter where you go, you are what you are, player. You can try to change, but not just the top player. You was who you was before you got here. He's just going to be a selfish-ass dude, and he's going to try to get buckets. He's not going to buy into team defense. He's not going to buy in and, and do what needs to be done. He thinks he's a star. You, you heard it in the Oklahoma City intro. Like, yo, this dude said I got to sit on the bench. Like, yeah, you probably should have. You should have sat on the bench. Like, you should have yeah. came off the bench. So, I don't have any faith in Melo. That was cringeworthy at the time, and it's obviously even more cringeworthy in hindsight. And, yes, you're correct. Couldn't get out of his own way. Um, you know, same as Allen Iverson, who just – should have accepted a lesser role in the later years of his career, but you know, his ego couldn't bring himself to do that, which is the case with a lot of star athletes who at one point in their lives were at the top of their craft. You know what I mean? I mean, it is, I imagine hard for these guys to go from being one of the greatest at what they do in the entire world to all of a sudden you're in your early thirties, a young man in the, in, in the, theory of the world but in the sports world you're you know you're considered old and washed up and they're trying to replace you but yeah i'm a little nervous that he's been spending a lot of his time drinking hennessy and eating chicken wings so i'll be curious to see how he shows up to portland i mean i want to say that he's going to play That's saturday night <laughs> <laughs> i want to say that he's gonna, oh sh- should i have said panera bread and coffee or something my bad starbucks coffee and panera bread oh um, shit <laughs> I uh, I want to say we're going to get to see him Saturday night, but I mean, he borderline, <laughs> he borderline needed a sports bra when he was in fucking New York, so I can't imagine now. Yeah, it, shit. All right, let me pull this up together. All right, no, it, it's kind of sad because, like, because Melo does deserve to, to go out, like, to have some sort of recognition for his career because he was a great scorer. Like, he did do some stuff for the NBA. He was sort of that, like, last of the ISO ball players, right? He, like, took after Kobe and, and stuff like that. Uh, but there's a place for him in the league. There's a place for him in history. Like, Carmelo was a good player. And for him to kind of go out on those terms left me a little salty. Like, I don't know if he deserves any better. But, like, as a as a fan of the NBA, I, I want to see him get one last run and, like, like have the, the Carmelo fans who are fans of him be able to send him off well, not just – just get cut in, in the first week of the season. Right. Well, hopefully all that watermelon and grape drink didn't hold him down. Bro, you're about to get jumped. I can't I can't protect you. <laughs> God. All right. All right. Let's let's move on before uh before you take your hood out. Let's uh transition to from uh, an ex New York Nick to another ex New York Nick, Christoph Porzingis, back in the garden last night. Um, Knicks fans showed out. I was proud of them. I actually had the volume at my TV in my living room turned up because I was enjoying the atmosphere so much. So the the crowd showed out as they often do. You know, they don't have much to cheer for, but when they find something, they go hard. Any comments on the game last night? Any thoughts? So, like, I don't watch a lot of New York games because they're terrible, but it just makes me so upset that New York hasn't been able to field a good team in 20 years because that crowd, that energy was amazing. Like, like I said before, I planned on watching the first couple minutes of the game and probably switching to other stuff. But like that crowd, that energy, like got me into the game. Like it just, I mean, we already talked about Dolan. We already talked about why the Knicks are bad, but it just makes me even more mad seeing that crowd cheer. And like, I just wish the Knicks were good because I would love to watch that on a nightly basis. Yep. Unfortunately, I'm afraid they're just a cursed franchise. Obviously, you know, Marcus Morris hit a big shot to, (laughs) to bail them out. Otherwise we'd probably be, you know, dwelling on a lot of the negatives with one of them being Julius Randall, who they continue to experiment with him as this like point forward role. 
He's averaging over four turnovers per game. I think over five turnovers per game. Because I think he had another six last night. Over five turnovers per game on the season from a position where he's like non-dominant, you know, ball handler. Uh, 24 years old, signed the big contract, had the big numbers in New Orleans last year, which obviously we've seen historically players do, you know, repeatedly in contract years. So you try not to get fooled by it. But I got to say, I'm I'm disappointed as a Nick fan because I was very excited to get him. I'm not going to sit here and, you know, uh, rewrite my history. I was incredibly excited to get him. 24 years old, averaged a double-double. But, you know, the rebound numbers are slightly up this year. The assist numbers are slightly up this year. But he's down from 21 points per game to 15 points per game, primarily because he's shooting 42% from the field, whereas last year he was 52%, and he's shooting an abysmal 20% from three, whereas last year looked pretty competent at 34%. Should I be out on Julius Randle and selling my Julius Randle stock? No, 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 no way. So, like, so a team without an established, like, hierarchy of players, like the number one player, number two, number three, like, those teams always tend to get performances like this. Like Julius Randle is a good player. If he knew he was the second best player on the team, then he would be doing second best player stuff. Like he was last year uh, alongside Anthony Davis for the short time that he played with him. Like he looked really good in that role. So you can't be mad at him because there's no established star there. So he's like, I don't like, nobody knows what they're doing. It's like, is Moop the, the number one is Barrett the number one is Randall the number one. Like nobody knows. So it's just like, kind of chaos on the offensive end just if you pair if you said julius randall you're our second best player everything's gonna run through rj barrett i think you'd be very happy with julius randall it just i mean it feels like shooting percentages always tend to balance themselves out maybe over the course you know i mean you watch like james harden has been shooting trash to start the season but no one thinks that's gonna last you know we all think james harden is gonna be perfectly fine so he's not gonna stop chucking his threes because that number is going to balance out so i mean i guess maybe i shouldn't be discouraged by these percentages because it should equal itself out in the long run it's just watching him and watching him more closely now because he's on my team obviously he just puts his head down and barrels into like three defenders, like a bull in a China shop. And it's a little, you know, discouraging. Which I think you would want if that team had better spacing. If they had other players that could stretch out the floor, like like watching that Knicks team, it's it's very clogged. Like a lot of people do the same things. They want the ball in the same spot. So like you can't, he's going to have turnovers because he spins. All of a sudden he's in a triple team because Mook's at the elbow, like, Bobby Portis is like like on the block, you know, like that. That's what's gonna happen with a team that's not constructed properly. I, like I'm still, I like Julius Randle a lot. Like I would be happy to have him on my team. Like I don't think he's a bad player. I think he's just trying to, like, you just get a, like the team sucks. Like get get his shots up, get his stats up. Like he might be forcing it a little bit, but what like what are you gonna do on the Knicks? You know. Well, that's the frustrating thing that I, I I'm not sure that the common fan always understands. Is so, you know, the common fan right now is saying fire Fizdale. And I think one of the biggest gripes with Fizdale right now would be his what seems to be this hard headed insistence on starting both Marcus Morris and Julius Randle. So in his mind, he's envisioning Marcus Morris as a three and Julius Randle as a four when they are essentially the exact same player. So only one of them can start. But what I'm saying is what the common fan doesn't understand is the politics of sport. And so I'm sure that what happened is Marcus Morris was dangled in front of the New York Knicks. And that is a desirable piece. I mean, you know, he's a good player. Obviously, he's probably been our first or second best player so far this season. We saw him hit the big shot last night. But I'm sure that obviously we know Marcus Morris had the agreement with the Spurs first and then reneged on that and signed with the Knicks. I'm sure that one of the conversations was about you know, guaranteed starting spot, X amount of minutes. Like these are the kinds of things that happen behind closed doors between front offices and agents and everything, you know, that he's probably offered certain assurances. And so Fizdale's hands are probably tied because they said, look, we delivered you Marcus Morris, a a good player on a nice contract. But our end of the promise to him was, you know, to his agent was, you know, he's going to start and he's going to play 30 minutes a night. And so you have to do that. And, And Fizdale's probably thinking, Jesus, like, Look, I have enough of a basketball mind to know this isn't working, but my hands are tied. 
Yeah. Uh, so going to Fisdale. So in our last podcast, we talked about like, is Fisdale a good, good coach? And I didn't really have a lot to say in the last podcast. And I don't know if I have any more to add to that, but I was thinking like, all right, so why did he get moved out of, out of Memphis? Do you remember he benched Marcus all for like kind of no reason he was beef with Marcus all. Yep. And throughout Marcus all's career, he's apparently been like one of the best teammates and hardest working people. So like, Maybe Fisdale has a huge ego, and maybe it is the right move to fire him. Maybe. Well, that is a thing that Fisdale does, so I can say firsthand as you know, someone who watches the Knicks on a nightly basis, is I don't even want to say that he puts people into the doghouse because I don't think that's what he does. But he does try to send bizarre messages in increments throughout the course of the season to players by giving them DNP coaches' decisions for like three nights in a row. It's very bizarre. He did it last year um, to several of our players where like player would be in the rotation three, four games in a row, probably thinking everything's fine. And then kind of suspiciously disappeared, buried into the bench for three games in a row. And like about five players on the Knicks had to take turns being that guy last year. Wayne Ellington is in the midst of being that guy right now where, you know, he, he was kind of in the rotation and then now it's just kind of disappeared and with no real answers. And so I imagine, you know, going back into time, that that's probably what he was doing with Marcus Saul. There was probably something that he didn't like or a message he was trying to send or whatever, where he, you know, was kind of bearing him onto his bench. It was probably only going to be X amount of games, but obviously, you know, the star player won the uh, the the matchup there, whereas we don't necessarily have the star player that could get Fisdale ousted. Um, but yeah, it is a weird thing that he does. Yeah. All right. I'm good on the Knicks. Well, so. That conversation sort of started with me saying that Julius Randle or, or asking the question of if he's been a disappointment. Do you have any players? You know, we talk so much about MVP candidates and surprise players and surprise teams and Timberwolves and Suns and this and that. Do you have any players that have been a disappointment to you? Any players after 10 to 12 games here where you were expecting more or, or a young guy that you were hoping to see take a leap or anything like that? Yeah, so – I mean, one player that comes to mind is Aaron Gordon of the Orlando Magic, right? So the Orlando Magic made the eight seed last year. He was the best player on the team. He's a young dude, like 24 years old. And I've never been totally in on Aaron Gordon at all. Like, I I can see the attraction to him because of his, like, freakish athletic ability. Like, he had one of the best dunk contests you've ever seen with Zach Levine. But, so you would hope that he would add more and more to his game. And the Magic suck. He's not averaging great numbers. It's like 14, 6, and 3 or something like that. And I, I just expected more from him. I think if he was going to make a jump this year, it was just the East is open. Like this year was a year for him to make that jump. I completely agree because I have also never been in an Aaron Gordon, but he's one of those players that was kind of proving me wrong last year because I was never in on him. And then all of a sudden last year he was, he was having a good year. And the biggest thing about it last year was that his jump shot looked good and looked improved. And I, and so I, I kind of looked at him as maybe following like a Blake Griffin path. You know, Blake Griffin came into the NBA just off of like athleticism and dunking on everybody's face. And then you asked, you know, well, can this last? And then he kind of reinvented himself with a actually really good jump shot and then stuck around for all these years. And he's actually still probably one of the you know, 25 best players in the NBA after all these years, even though the highlight reels and stuff have died down. So I was like, oh, well, maybe I'll, maybe I was wrong about Aaron Gordon because I just looked at him as athleticism and not much of a skilled basketball player. And then all of a sudden he kind of developed this jump shot last year. And I'm thinking, oh, OK, well, here comes Aaron Gordon. And then this year it's kind of like, nope, back to reality. And we talk about guys in contract years. I would have thought Vucevic was going to be the the poster child for that, you know, made the all-star team last year, putting up these huge numbers. And I'm thinking, watching it in real time, I'm thinking, no, you know, this is this is contract year written all over it. But Vucevic is actually doing pretty well. So it's like, what the hell's Aaron Gordon's excuse? You know what I mean? Yeah. I, yeah. I think he's a he's going to be moved this year. Because, uh, like, that's somebody who another team would take a chance on. You know, like, let's say, off the top of my head, the Celtics, maybe, <laughs> right? The Celtics would definitely take a chance on, on on him. Probably Golden State would take a chance on him. I don't know. It, it's just disappointing because you thought 
if it was going to be any time this year is Aaron Gordon's time, and he's just not proving anything to, at this point. Yep, no, I agree with you. Definitely a good trade candidate because, um, you know, they probably want to get more more minutes for Jonathan Isaac and um, even Mo Bamba, too. I mean, Mo Bamba looks incredibly raw, but I think they want to get him out there on the court. So I could see that as well. Let me throw some other names at you then of players that I've seen as disappointments, and you tell me if I'm crazy or if I'm correct. One of a guy that's that's our guy, man. We talked about this guy a lot in the preseason, not on the pod necessarily, but with each other, Jaron Jackson Jr. Obviously, we didn't get to see a huge sample out of him in his rookie year last year because because of the injury that ended up shutting him down. But what he did show was a, a diverse skill set, um, a big guy that could potentially like lead the NBA in blocks because he's got a, a skill when it comes to that, but then also shoot a high percentage from three. And, you know, then because of his size, the rebounds should come and, and the points can come off the threes. And, and he's, he's very good down low with both hands and footwork and everything. But this year he's averaging 14 and five. And, and that's really because of two big games. Now those two big games have come in like their last three to four games um, and I'm, I'm just shooting blindly here, but I, I want to say he had um, like two 20-point-ish games in these last three games that the Grizzlies have played. So maybe just a slow start getting back into it because of injuries and everything. But I'm I'm kind of disappointed, man. I wanted to see him running out there with John Moran. John's looking good, and, and Jaron Jackson Jr. is like not holding his end of the, the weight. You know what I mean? I was not expecting this. So, <laughs> I'm going to be honest because I'm a big fan of Jaron Jackson. Uh, I think – I think coming back, I, I would give that a little bit more time. Just give it a little bit more time. We know what we see with him. He's going to be a good player. Uh, maybe it's just a, a rough stretch right now. So let's take a look. Yeah, it is. It's so hard for us fans because, you know, guys come back from injury and you just want to see them be great. You know, like Paul George comes back last night and lights it up. I'll be in a loss, but that's fine. Clippers are missing a couple of their guys. But he individually looked good, which if you're a Clippers fan, is incredibly encouraging. Whereas right now we're watching Porzingis kind of struggle, and it's like, well, what are you going to do? I mean, are you going to kill him and write him off? Or should you give him six months? Because, you know, we watched Gordon Hayward be bad for an entire year before all of a sudden looking normal again. But it's just hard from a fan perspective because it's like you want to see these guys, you know, come back and hit the ground running right away. And, and that's not always the case. Sometimes you have to demonstrate patience. Um, let me throw another one at you, a guy that I've kind of brought up a few times and you keep telling me I'm crazy, but it's just not, I mean, Mike Conley out in Utah, he was supposed to be the piece. And I, and I was, I was against this at the time that the trade was made. I wasn't against the trade, but I was against this notion that he was like the championship piece. I, it, it just felt like too much for me. The trade happened and everybody was like, uh Oh, like, Utah NBA title contender now. And I was like, well, let's slow our roll here on, on Mike Conley. And you, and I feel like I, for some reason, have to keep being the guy that bashes Mike Conley, which is not a, a role I like. You know what I mean? It doesn't make me feel good bashing Mike Conley. But, like, he at best has always probably been, like, the 12th to 15th best point guard in the NBA at all times. Never made the all-star team. Not a huge amount of, like, playoff success and everything. But so he's brought into Utah with – with these high promises, you know, the, the, the talking heads and the media and everything go, watch out for Utah now. He's averaging 14-4-2. I mean, is, am I miss like maybe the role is that he's a defender and he just is supposed to keep the ball ticking over and just alleviate some of the responsibilities that Don Mitchell has and so the numbers aren't supposed to be eye-popping? So the Jazz are still 8-3. and three. Right, so they're still like at the top in the mix in the West, and fourteen, eight, and two or three is right around his career average. Like, did we did we get sucked in of thinking Mike Conley was like a twenty point per game score and like like a twenty and eight guy because he, he's not. But so, so see, I guess I feel like yes, that's what people have been doing. Well, he's not like I mean that's not what he is like. Like Mike Conley to me feels like the Al Horford of guards. Like, he's a good player, a guy you want on the team that's going to make the right decision, but is not going to put up those eye-popping stats. Yeah. Yeah, so I guess we have to keep watching that because 
I imagine, and I do have, uh, you know, Utah down as a team to watch this weekend. I guess I imagine his role is alleviate some responsibilities from Donovan Mitchell. So, that Don, you know, it, you want Donovan Mitchell scoring in the half court, so you don't necessarily want him also having to bring the ball up the court. Um, you know, have the, we obviously know what Conley brings to the table as a defender. He's always been a good, hard-nosed defender at the point of attack. Um, and, you know, veteran leadership and that kind of stuff. It's just, I guess the numbers have been underwhelming, but I'll have to more closely watch the performances. Yeah, and, and then it, let me... his shooting percentage is down. And, like, you, you would have to think that's going to regress back to the mean. Like, it's going to go back up. Like, because you can have a rough 10 games, and it's the first 10 games of the season. I think, uh, again, I would just pause hitting the panic button on Mike Connolly. All right, let me throw out two other players because these are uh, young players who I think are supposed to be stars. One maybe taking a superstar leap and one taking a star leap. Which do you want to start with, the star or the superstar? Let's, Let's go with a star and then go to the superstar after that. All right, so a player that should be taking a leap to stardom, I believe, is De'Aaron Fox. I think everybody likes De'Aaron Fox. I wanted the Knicks to draft him um, specifically after I saw him light up Lonzo Ball when Kentucky and UCL, UCLA played. Um, but then, unfortunately, his stock got so high, and the Knicks, you know, I think had like the eighth draft pick, so he didn't make it far enough for us, unfortunately. Um, but I've always been high in Fox. Then the rookie year was kind of meh, you know what I mean? But what do you what do you want from a rookie point guard playing in Sacramento? So fine. Then year two all of a sudden got exciting. And I saw him play in person last year, and it's like even more exciting in person because you realize just how fast he is. He's a blur on the core. Um, so like last year was was fun. Sacramento obviously had that early success where we're thinking, oh my God, you know, playoffs and all this kind of stuff. So now coming into year three. I feel like this is where the numbers are supposed to sort of take off and the performances are supposed to take off. Sacramento was you know, supposed to be in the playoffs this year, maybe flirting with that eight seed. Um, he's maybe supposed to be getting more to like a 20 and 10 guy, um, you know, maybe doing his best like Russell Westbrook impersonation, if you will. But I sort of feel like numbers are stagnant, maybe going down. Um, the Obviously, the record's not there. And I feel like he's getting lapped or passed by some of his younger uh, point guard peers. You know, Trey Young, Luka Doncic are maybe like passing him. What do you make of Trey, uh, De'Aaron Fox? So De'Aaron Fox is good. Luke Walton sucks dick. Luke Walton is the reason why this team is not as fun as it was last year. So last year, that team was running up and down the court. I, I have no idea what the numbers are. I don't have the numbers in front of me. But just watching their games, they were just flying up and down the court, fast break all the time. This year, they're in so many half-court sets with people. When you have the fastest, one of the fastest players I think I've, I've seen, you can't just have them play in the half-court. Like, you have to get them out and running. Like So there was, like, a story about last year in training camp – they would, br- they would bring uh, trash buckets into the, the practice facility because they're going to run so much, everybody was puking. And you saw it last year. They were running up and down the court. They were one of the funnest teams to watch in the regular season. Like, they were just fast-breaking all day. And this year, they, they're they not doing it because they because Vladi fired a good coach. So I think it's it's more of the coaching and not maximizing what, what uh, Fox is good at. So a couple of thoughts on that. First of all, wasn't their coach last year, and I'm going to sound like an idiot if I'm wrong with this, wasn't their coach last year Dave Yeager? Yep. Who, okay, good. So Dave Yeager, who came from Memphis. So this is more just a shout-out to Dave Yeager. I, I actually really like Dave Yeager as a coach. I've said on this pod it was a mistake to fire him. I, um, But Dave Yeager did the grit and grind in Memphis and then went to Sacramento and did the up-tempo style that you're talking about. So isn't that funny how – you know, the coach can wear multiple hats and, and kind of just uh, blend to the talent that's on his team, which I think is important because, you know, I, I hate to bring it back to like the Knicks. But remember, you know, Phil Jackson comes into the Knicks and then demands that like Jeff Hornacek runs the triangle offense, even though they don't have the personnel. to run. It's like, no, nah, man, do what your team, you know, do the do what your team has. So Dave Yeager looks around and sees Tony Allen and Marcus Gasol and Mike Conley and says we're grit and grind and has success there. And then he comes to Sacramento. And, you know, looks at what they have there and says we're going up and down. And then another comment on that that's also funny is Sacramento has the owner 
Remember this a couple years ago that said, like, we want to experiment with, like, cherry-picking a dude on the offensive side of the court and just defending four on five? And everybody was like, like, bro, you can't do that in the NBA. You know what I mean? Like, you can't just guard a team four on five in the NBA. But I guess I'm saying that to say, like, you know, they had that the idiot owner that's saying that, like, oh no, we want to just we want to focus only on offense and, and keep a guy down there. And then they also had Buddy Heald, who everybody was shitting on because he didn't look so hot in New Orleans. And then of course he gets, you know, anytime you get traded for a star like Demarcus Cousins, you have to get shit on. So everybody says, like, oh, what idiots for making that trade, Buddy Heald's terrible. Then last year, Buddy Heald's fucking great and taken off. So they got this high octane offense. Buddy Heald just raining shots. Aaron Fox, Aaron Fox is running 100 miles an hour and everything. And and then you get to this year, and it's kind of like you know. So Darren Fox last year was averaging 17 and seven. This year he's averaging 18 and seven. So I mean, it's not like he's worse. He was shooting 37. Um, he was shooting what 37 percent from the field last. Uh, this year and he's shooting 43 last year. He was shooting 45% from three last year and he's shooting 33% this year. So the shooting percentages are way down, but I guess, I, I guess what I would say is I consider it a failure for him to even remain stagnant. Is that fair? Cause I wanted to see the leap from year. We saw a good leap from year one to year two. I wanted to see the better leap from year two to three. So if you tell me even that he's stagnant this year, with and then you couple that with you know the the performance of the team is worse and whatever I consider that a disappointment. Right, but I, I agree with you. It is a disappointment, but it's not on Fox. It's on the coaching staff. Yeah. Like watching. So the the Kings last year was like one of the best league pass teams to watch because they're, they're running up and down the court. They're firing threes. Like you could see Fox in transition. Like how do you watch them this year? It's not that at all. It's fucking terrible. It's not terrible. It's like the right way to play basketball, quote unquote, but it's not right for them. What what happens to these professional organizations to make these decisions? Like what possessed the Kings to look at their season last year and fire their coach? Do you know what I mean? Like, like pump the brakes. You're the Sacramento Kings. Like, have you just been swimming in so much success that you know, 38 wins or whatever they had last year and finishing in the ninth or 10th seed is like unacceptable and doesn't meet the Sacramento Kings standards. Like <laughs> chill, you're the Sacramento Kings. Like, didn't they by all accounts overachieve last year? That's just, so, yeah, right. it's, it's just so bizarre. What like professional sports organizations will do where we're just like, no, we're firing the coach. Yeah, it is crazy. I agree. All right. I let me give you that. the superstar one and you tell me what you think. Nikola Jokic, the Joker, is disappointing me so far this season. Supposed to be all-NBA first-team center, right? I mean, supposed to be best player on the best team in the West. Supposed to, you know, maybe lead a team to an NBA championship. Averaging 17-9-5, shooting 44% from the field and 24% from three. Um... Nuggets got off to the slow start for the season, albeit still squeaking out some wins. I've touched on their offense a couple times. I got to watch their full game last night. Um, bro, I, I don't know about you, man, but I stayed up till like 2 a.m. last night. I had about six beers and I was watching sports, bro. I, I, I think I got a little too gassed up during that Knicks game because like the beer started flowing, you know what I mean? And then I was like, all of a sudden I'm watching the football game and Miles Garrett's pounding someone's head in with a fucking helmet. Yo, that was the I, craziest thing I've ever seen. Like, that was yeah, past just Gilmore a... shit. Like, he, he got suspended <laughs> for life for trying to stab somebody in the face with a skate. This dude tried to attack the quarterback with a helmet. That shit was wild, right? So I'm getting all gassed up. I start, I crack another beer, and I'm like, fuck it. Let me go over and watch this Nuggets-Nets game. And so I'm watching the whole game, and I don't know. Like, he just I – mean, I, I mean, what do you say? You can't sit here and be like, oh, the Joker looks looks doughy and slow. Because, yeah, motherfucker, he always looks doughy and slow. He looked doughy and slow when he was, you know, a all-NBA performer last year. But, like, ugh, I don't know, man. Like, he's, he's forcing up these shots. They're not going in. And uh, I don't know. I'm kind of disappointed. By, I'm disappointed by the Joker, and I'm disappointed by the Nuggets. And then it's funny because the NBA on TNT cast was talking about it, where where Barkley was basically saying like, "I'm disappointed in the Nuggets." And then Shaq and, and and Kenny are like, "Yeah, but they're eight and three. 
And he and 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 so I get that, you know what I mean? But like but Barkley was saying, yeah, but they're developing bad habits. And I kind of tend to agree with that. It's like because you um, there's two sides of the coin, right? On the one side, if you're playing bad, you want to be eight and three. You know what I mean? Like you want to still get the results. But on the other side is you don't want to get like comfortable with you know, you don't want to get like you don't want to almost like trick yourself and camouflage the fact that you're not really playing that well and sit there in your locker room and be like, yeah, man, we're fucking eight and three this year. Like, you know, we're killing it because like Denver hasn't really looked that great. Dude, I would 100 percent agree with you. And I don't mean to sound like the bad omen, dude, but I saw this last year with the Boston Celtics team and I tried to like pull it out of you our last podcast. They are not playing together. Like, it, like it's not the same watching them. Like, you can't put your finger on it because they're winning games. Jokic is hitting game winners, but it's not the same energy that they're bringing every single game. Like, I truly feel like some of their people are unhappy with their roles because they have so many people who could have bigger roles on different teams. Like, they have, like, their rotation honestly could be eleven deep. And and when you when you're getting six minutes a game. When you know if you're on another team, you get 20 minutes a game and be productive, like that's going to affect you. Like, I feel like they have too much talent, which is crazy to say, like too much above average talent. Right. And I, I think people are unhappy. I think we're going to see more of that throughout the season. And I wouldn't be surprised if they, A, make a trade or B, it blows up and you see, like, you'll see at the end of the year, like, oh my God, this team was like such a mess, blah, blah, blah. Like, you see all the stories come out at the end of the year for, for, countless teams like i i can definitely see it like they, they're playing different well i hope it doesn't start with my man Jokic because obviously everybody everybody likes him he plays the game so beautifully um you know that the high post just swinging the ball around hitting the threes and everything um but I, i'm just i'm disappointed by him so far so i gotta watch with that being said i gotta watch the jazz this weekend and i gotta watch the nuggets this weekend so it looks like i'll be watching a lot of memphis grizzlies basketball because the jazz play the grizzlies tonight on espn and the um nuggets play the grizzlies on sunday i'll probably tune into both those games because i want to see what the jazz are all about because i'd be lying to you if i said i watched a lot of the jazz here um and it'll give me a chance to watch john morant, john morant and then check in on my boy jaron jackson jr and see what he's all about what games you got on your schedule this weekend? Uh, so I'm obviously going to watch the Celtics game tonight because I watch every single t- Celtics game. Uh, but they're playing the Warriors, so that yeah, should be a sorry, win. Bro. Can we? Uh, I mean, can ESPN flex these goddamn games out? Like, no one wants to watch the Warriors right now. You, you don't want to watch the best team in the NBA. You can watch your Celtics on t- with Tommy Heinsohn on your local network and give us Kings Lakers. Like, flex that game in. You know what I mean? Like, who's trying to watch this Warriors right now? Uh, nobody. But they're playing the Celtics, so people want to watch the Celtics. <laughs> so Saturday, we have Rockets at Timberwolves, and I want to see James Harden cook. I'm a big believer in James Harden, as we <sighs> talked about last night. And the Timberwolves are still looking pretty good. Do you know what uh, I want to do? I want to read the box score to that game after the game because I'm very interested in that game. I'm very interested in the Timberwolves and their success and Wiggins keeping up his streak and Carl Anthony Towns continuing to be one of the best players in the NBA. And can this Harden and Westbrook thing work? And are the Rockets a true title contender? But I cannot fucking watch James Harden play the sport of basketball. So, yes, I'll be reading the box score to that game, but I will not be watching it. You know, James Harden's fucking unbelievable. you got to stop hating on that man. Like, well, why do you hate him so much? He ruins the game of basketball. There what? is nobody that enjoys watching James Harden play the sport of basketball, and that includes his teammates and his close family. No, I enjoy watching James Harden play basketball. Do you think that his mother goes to his games? Uh, I don't know James Harden personally. I don't know if his mother is alive or not, but I'd imagine <laughs> that his mom is going to watch him play basketball. No, nobody likes watching James Harden play basketball. Why? Like, Nobody's why, though. Because all he does is travel, flop, go to the free throw line 20 times while shooting 20% from three-point land on 14 attempts. Yeah. It's not efficient, good basketball. 
I'm not going to listen to this blasphemy about James Harden. This dude is fucking amazing. Like, James Harden is changing the way that we watch basketball and the way people are going to play basketball. You're right. It's like, he's changing it's like the way I watch basketball because I used to watch basketball, and now I don't. So he's changing the way I watch it. It's like being mad at Shaq because he was so fucking dominant. Like, yeah, James Harden, it's boring because he scores almost every fucking time he, get, he gets to the line. But, like, that's – he's playing within the rules of the fucking game. Like, Shaq was fucking boring to watch. Oh, my God, you're dubbing the post. Oh, he's going to get fouled. Oh, he's going to dunk on you. Like, wow, that's super entertaining. He was still fucking dominant. Like, James Harden is an amazing basketball player. Like, he, he didn't do this when he came out of college, right? Well, no, he was on the bench. I suppose there was, I suppose there was glimpses of it. Yeah. So like, cause I, so you're not saying this, but I fucking hate people that are like James Harden is only good in today's NBA. Like that's fucking bullshit. Like this dude was not what he is when he came out of college. He added to his game every single year th- through the rules of the fucking game. And he's one of the best scorers that we've ever seen. And people keep hating on him because like, Oh, all he does is hunt foul, blah, blah, blah. Like that's what the game is now. And he's just taking advantage of the fucking rules. Like, you can't get mad at James Harden. James Harden's amazing. Can I get mad at the official officials for continuing to give him all these calls? Yeah, so I guess it's like the old quote, don't hate the player, hate the game. Hate the game. The game has changed. You I mean, listen to some of these James numbers. Harden. Listen to some of his box scores. One for eight from three, two for 18 from three, three for 14 from three, two for 16 from three, three for nine, seven for 16, six for 16, three for 11, six for 14. So, I mean, those are atrocious numbers, but then his free throw attempts are 14, 12, 22, 18, 15, 14, 18, 17. I'm okay with superstars getting superstar calls, and I'm not – I'm not removing the superstar label from James Harden. So I'm fine with that. If you tell me he's one of the 10 best players in the NBA, I'm fine with that. I'm not, you know, that much of a hater and I'm fine with my superstars getting calls, but I feel like 12 free throw attempts per game is adequate. Nobody needs to be shooting 22 free throw attempts, 18 free throw attempts, 17 free throw attempts, because it's a joke. It's camouflaging what he's doing. Everybody's like, Oh, shit, did you see that Harden had 35 points last night? If 21 of them are from the free throw line, I'm not impressed. That's not good. That Here's doesn't make idea. you a good basketball player. Stop following the man. But are you yeah. following him? Absolutely. I mean, people aren't touching him. He's just and, throwing his head back. And, and listen, right, As when you watch a young NBA player, any NBA player on your team, what you want to see is in the offseason, they develop some sort of skill to add to their game, and they get better. James Harden has done that every single year since he's been in the league, and now he's become one of the most dominant scorers the league has ever seen. Like, that's just a fact. Like, he is one of the best scorers we've ever seen. But people are mad at him because of the rules of the game. This dude would have been dominant in any fucking era of the NBA because if it was the 90s and these fouls weren't being being called, he would find another way to get better. Like, James Harden is fucking amazing. you got to stop hating on that man. He's been a lot better admittedly in his last five games but like his first one two three four five six seven six games of the season this is how many times not from the free throw line that he put the ball into the basket two eight eight ten six that's how many times in the court in the the natural course of the basketball game playing 36, 36, 37, 38, 37 minutes, he put the ball into the hoop. So that's not impressive. If you tell me, yeah, but Carly, he had 29, 40, 36, 29, 40, whatever points, he's putting the ball into the hoop two, six, four times. I mean, come on, man. That's not good basketball. That doesn't make you a good player. Two times, eight times, eight times, six times? Fuck out of here. That's not good. So James Harden is not a good player. He's not an efficient player, and it's not fun to watch. It's He's not the most fun. efficient player we've ever seen. Are, are you kidding me? And you're you with your you with your analytics drinking this Kool Aid that these stat guys say these days. Look up the numbers on his number of dribbles per game, and the amount of times the ball is in his hands per game, and his usage rate. All of that stuff is absurd. I'm sure that if a lot of these other players had the freedoms to do that that they'd be able to put up these numbers as well. Obviously, no, Nobody been, can do it. Nobody can do it. Yes, he's they can. A, he's How many better. times have we been fooled by Mike D'Antoni offenses? 
No. Steve Nash has two MVP trophies that you would be the first to admit he does not deserve sitting on his shelf at home because we got fooled by inflated Mike D'Antoni stats. Okay, I agree that Dan, like Mike D'Antoni is going to inflate your stats a little bit. My point is James Harden is go, would be great in any era in any system because he's going to constantly add to his game. Like Kyrie Irving has, what, the second highest usage rate in the NBA? He's not doing what James Harden's doing. Can like, James Harden win a title playing this way? He All right. So not to have revisionist history, he almost fucking did. He almost beat the most unbeatable team we've ever seen. He was maybe a pulled hamstring away from Chris Paul from doing that. Like, so we, we don't we know. That. You, you think that they would have gone to Golden State and, and won a game seven in Golden State? I think they would have won game six because he pulled his hamstring in game six. Like, like I'm saying maybe. Like, obviously, we can't have revisionist history. So, like, no, he hasn't won the title yet. And, like, can he? I can't say yes. But, like, he was pr- pretty fucking damn close with one of the best teams that we've ever seen. Well, I'm not. I'm actually not gonna. I, I'm not gonna sit here and say he can't win a title because he very well could. He could win a title this year. I, I think the window's probably closing. I think they probably have this year and next year, if I'm being honest, because I think that if they got bounced in the second round this year and bounced in like let's say the first or second round last year, that Daryl Morey's gonna go back to the drawing board and probably, you know, we we know Daryl Morey likes to tinker with rosters. At some point, they'll probably look at the coach and you know because I mean. After next year, that'll be D'Antoni's, like, what, sixth or seventh year in Houston, um, which usually you don't get that long of a leash if you're not winning titles. Um, so they probably have this year and next year. But I'm actually not, as as much as I will hate on D'Antoni and will hate on Harden, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that they can't win because, I mean, they're on my short list of favorites just because I'm not, you know. I believe, I believe they're close than a lot of people think. So, like, and this is something stupid, but, like, so I watched an interview with James Harden. I think ESPN showed it. And, like, he was saying, like, yeah, we could definitely win. And, like, like his confidence in himself and his teammates, like, like that's what you want out of your best player. Like, like, like listening to him, he honestly believes he can win. Like, if you believe that you can do something, like, you're more apt to do it. Like, like he believes he's one of the best players in the NBA, and now he is one of the best players in the NBA. Like, you see players who, like, who are good but don't know if they belong there yet, like, a la Jason Tatum last year. Like, when we all could clearly see that he belongs there, but mentally he wasn't there yet, like, like just believing is half the fucking battle. This dude believes he's he's a championship team. Like, I'm going to ride with that. Like, I think Houston is going to be super fucking scary in the playoffs, depending on their matchups. So so I I asked you, do you think that he can win playing like this not because I don't think that he can per se, but what the what I would get at, my follow-up question would be, would you rather James Harden playing this style under this coach with this usage rate, these dribbles, this many shots, et cetera, et cetera, ball in his hand this amount of time and going out in the second round every single time, or you're telling me that James Harden would be good in any era, on any team, blah, blah, would you rather have him on a – different, you know, with a Greg Popovich or a Mike Budenholzer or whatever, that's not going to let him do all of this per se. That's not just going to say, here's the keys to the car, go nuts, you know, shoot these blah, 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 you know, shoot these step back threes, five seconds into the shot clock, this and that, but maybe have more success, you know, team success, win a championship. So that's why I came in aggressively like that. Like, do you think he can win? So which would you rather see? Do you want your James Harden doing this and getting the 37 points per game, which is, you know, arguably historic, whereas I would argue about its inefficiencies and its ugliness or whatever, or would you rather see him, you know, on the Toronto Raptors, you know, leading them to a championship with less usage rate? Honestly, I would want to see James Harden in a more balanced roster, but with like the cap situation, like what they did with the Chris Paul contract, trading it for the Russell Westbrook contract, there, there's not like honestly, if you look at the Rockets, there's not a lot of talent on that team. And like we talk about team, we talk about players like Luca getting wins on a team that isn't that good. The Mavericks have more NBA players minus Russell Westbrook than the Rockets. So like, I would want to see him in a mo- on a more balanced roster. And the fact that he's carrying this roster with the players that they have. Minus Russell Westbrook, I guess you could throw in Clint Capella. But, like, outside of that, like, they're not fucking good. And he's he's doing amazing. So, yes, I, I guess I'd rather see him uh, with a better roster. I, a, a different coach, I think he, 
I, I think he could succeed in any system is my point. I would agree. I've always agreed these last like three years that that roster isn't very good ever since, you know, Trevor Ariza left. They, they took a big hit. Um, and then, you know, guys just kind of got old before their eyes, like, you know, Nene and everything. Um, but I would not, I would not argue that the roster's worse than the Mavericks. The Mavericks roster is trash. You know, at, at the, you take the top two away from the Rockets, you take the top two away from the Mavs, and the Rockets would beat the Mavs, in my opinion. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the, the Clint Capella thing is weird, giving him that payday. I, I felt like they probably should have just let him walk. Um, obviously, you know, they have the corpse of Tyson Chandler and the corpse of Nene. Uh, but, you know, Eric Gordon is still good. Austin Rivers and P.J. Tucker are still good. Although they do seem to have to, they seem to be the roster that has to do the plug and play thing every year where, yeah, we bring in Austin Rivers. Yeah, we bring in Gerald Green for the ninth time. Yeah, we bring in like Iman Shumper. They only seem to have to, they have to be the team that hits the buyout market. You know what I mean? Like when February rolls around and dudes start getting bought out, then the Rockets are like, oh, cool, we'll take you. So yeah, I haven't liked the construction of the roster for like the last three years. But like you say, that's kind of the price you pay when you mortgaged everything for Chris Paul and then now Russell Westbrook. You, you just can't unless you're the Golden State Warriors for some reason who could afford five max players um most teams can't afford it once you get past the second one no I agree uh so moving on so I will not be watching the Rockets at schools but I'll be very intrigued by it uh so Uh, Monday there's a ton of good games so Celtics at Suns so the Suns historically even before they were good they always gave the Celtics problems for some reason, it's like the Miami Dolphins always give the Patriots problems, which it doesn't make any sense. So that's a game I'm going to be interested to get into. Trailblazers at Rockets, because Mellow's back. Mellow's back. Mellow's back. Uh, Spurs, you see Mavericks. a little Mellow revenge game against the Rockets? Yo. Let me find maybe. out Mellow drops 60 on the Rockets and keeps doing the three to the head logo. Yo, if Mellow drops 60, <laughs> I, I don't even know what I would do. Like, oh my – over yeah. under mellow dropping 60 points this season. Wait, like as a total point? Yes. Yo, Portland needs him. Like, like they're stuck with him. So I think he's going to play. Like, they, okay. they, he just doesn't fill any slots that they need. Like, they need wing defenders. They need big men. Like I said before. I don't know. Yeah. I think Mello, hopefully. I could see for the first week and a half, maybe two weeks, like him buying in and like not taking a lot of shots. And then one game, he's going to look like Mook, just like black hole, shooting the ball every time he gets it. And then he might get cut after that. Uh, and then Timberwolves at Jazz, I think, is going to be a good game as well. So up up through Monday, those, those are the, the games I'm looking forward to. It's a non-guaranteed contract with Mill. I'm not sure that he'll be there when uh... – the calendar turns to 2020, but we'll see. So, yeah, Blazers are at Spurs um, Saturday night, which I might fuck around and buy tickets for, by the way. That's tomorrow. I'm, I'm kind of thinking Dame Lillard's in town. They add Mello. I could probably get tickets to that for pretty cheap. I'm thinking about going down to that game, so I'll let how, you know. If I, how do you feel about Portland's uh, three-guard set they're running with uh, Simons? Then, well, they have to. That, I mean, if you look at their four best players, those are three of them, so you, you have to get your best players on the court. So, unfortunately, they have to. So I said in, like, my bold predictions or whatever that I could see Portland making a move. So since Simons is definitely coming onto the scene, like, he looks like the next generation of guards they need, do you think it's more likely they move off of either C.J. McCollum, probably C.J., or Dave Millard? It's just so hard when you're a small market like them um, that, you know, you don't get your 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 hands wrapped around guys like Dame Lillard and C.J. McCollum often enough to let them go and we know that anytime a trade happens um where a star play you know it's a it's always a penny is on the dollar situation you you ship a star player out and you get four players back who aren't as good and i don't even know that cj mccallum could draw that much so you'd probably be trading cj mccallum away for two to three pieces you know two players and a pick or a you know a player and a pick or something like that um and so it's just, I don't know, it's risky. I mean, you almost kind of, the Blazers aren't supposed to be this bad. Even as currently constructed, they're probably supposed to be a seventh or eighth seed. So I don't know if they're just hedging their bets that are, you know, banking on they'll be, they'll, they'll turn the ship around because obviously we're still early and they'll get back to that seventh and eighth seed. And I say that to say that that small market teams like them are almost okay with that. I said that, I think, in our preseason pod that 
if you're Utah or Indiana or Portland and you can give your fan base 20 consecutive years of making the playoffs, even if you're going out in the first or second round every single year, those fan bases remain content. They keep coming back every year. They're filling your stadium. They're buying your beer. They're paying parking. You're getting money, and they're supporting you because you've proved to be competent. So so if Portland calls up Denver right now, it was like, all right, listen, we're going to move off of C.J. McCollum. We want Juan Hernan Gomez, Gary Harris, and Jeremiah Grant. Who the fuck's saying no to that? Nah, man, that's such a tough trade because that's like interdivisional rivals. You know what I mean? That that'd be yeah. like the fucking if, if both, Sixers and Celtics making a trade. I know, but if it, it, it fills both, like it fills giant holes that both teams need. And so, if you're Portland, you get a wing defender in Jeremiah Grant. You get a, a big man until uh, Yusuf Nurkic comes back and Juan Hernan Gomez, and you get to a, a pseudo replacement in Gary Harris of CJ McCollum. And if you're Denver, you get the the guard that you need, the superstar that you need, and you get to fill more minutes with your bench players like Will Barton, you know? Like, that's not a bad fucking move. Let me play GM. Let me play GM. I I got this. Yeah, it's your favorite. You love doing that. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think that, you know, if you're you're in a big market like the Knicks and the Bulls, you can be bad for 20 years and your stupid, dumb fans keep showing up. Um, but when you're in the small market, you kind of have to remain competitive because I don't think that like a, you know, Oklahoma City couldn't survive seven years of being bad. So obviously it was all well and good when you have Durant, Harden, Westbrook and Ibaka there. It remained fine when you had, you know, Westbrook and Paul George there. Um, but I think we all kind of know that like a 10 year spell of Oklahoma City being bad would probably lead to the franchise relocating or something like that. So I almost think that, you know, I, I hate to set the bar at second round of the playoffs for these teams like Indiana, Utah, and Portland and stuff, but I almost think that that's kind of where it's at. So if Portland— But in that, that scenario, what team gets worse? Portland probably gets worse. No, because if Anthony Simons is what we think that he is and what Portland's been preaching that he is— and you're opening up the floor, and you're getting a wing defender, and you're filling your whole big man, and you're getting a Gary Harris like to to take up some of CJ's shots, and you get a Dame Cook like I I would argue that Portland's going to get better because of what they don't have. They don't have a center. They don't have wing defenders. Plus, they would have Melo dropping 20 points per game, and and when I think of wing defender, I think of Carmelo. So yeah, maybe you're right. You know. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, one more game this weekend to mention would be Raptors at Mavs. Um, obviously, you know, you, you love watching your, their Mavs. They're always fun to watch. And that's, that's a good little matchup of like, you know, fifth best team in the East versus fifth best team in the West kind of a deal. So that that's a good matchup too, for the NBA nerd to watch. I find the Raptors almost more fun to watch now than I did. Like I never really loved them during the, um, Lowry and DeRozan years I always thought they were kind of boring I didn't really love watching like those two dudes take turns taking shots DeRozan's games always kind of been boring and ugly to me just from like a aesthetic viewpoint and then obviously last year was cool with Kawhi specifically the playoff run because they were kind of playing the role of upsetters so that was fun but now this new team with like it being more of like the Siakam and Fred Van Fleet show with OG Ananobi, I actually find the Raptors more fun to watch now than even if even if they're less talent or less good, you know what I mean, than they were the last five years. I find them more fun to watch. Yeah, I, you know, Pascal Siakam, it just blows my mind how nobody knew that Pascal Siakam could do this. Like, this dude is really fucking good. Like, he might be the best player out of that draft, and that draft had Ben Simmons, Brandon Ingram, Jalen Brown. Like, that's... And, and, and Jamal Murray, like, how do how do you not like if you if you get paid to evaluate talent and you miss that, like you should be fired. It's not like being a weatherman; like you can't be wrong more than half the time. Like you gotta hit on players like Pascal Siakam. Like that dude is amazing to watch. This dude is like a dark horse MVP right now. He might win Most Improved Player of the Year again. Like, yeah, no, I I I, I like the I like Toronto. I like watching him. I like Pascal. Like, I'm in. 
Yeah, a, a team with Pascal Siakam as your best player is a lot more fun to watch than a team with DeMar DeRozan as your best player. Yeah, DeMar DeRozan, which I heard that the Spurs are looking to shop DeMar DeRozan. I can't see any team giving up anything for DeMar DeRozan. Nah, no chance. The Spurs are uh, they're in a bad spot right now. That's a that's a poorly constructed roster, and yeah, all the sports talk radio and everything down here they're not too thrilled with their Spurs. Pretty terrible on defense. They have it's kind of like you know, like in the NFL when they say if you have if you have three quarterbacks, you don't actually have any quarterbacks. They have two point guards, which sort of means they don't have any point guards because like Dejounte Murray is pretty good and Derek White is pretty good. But when you when you have two pretty good point guards and you actually can't really figure out which one to start because they're both kind of similar and both kind of mediocre, probably means that you have no point guards. Um, you know they get they're they're aging with which well the Spurs have been aging for 30 years, but they're aging with like the Patty Mills and the Marco Bellinelli's and stuff, and it's just not really not looking pretty good for the Spurs. Yeah, or right, maybe maybe the dynasty's over and maybe somebody called it. Uh, in our first podcast, maybe. I don't know if it counts if you call it 15 years in a row when you know to find when it finally pays off in the 15th year, though. But it, hey, good for me black. if I can get good for me if I can get cheaper tickets, though. Yeah, right. All right, anything else you want want to touch on? No, nah, man, I think I'm good. All I'm right, gonna take the rest of the night off for load management. <laughs> oh yeah, yo. So you know what pisses me off? So we saw the Paul George debut. Now the Clippers, like the Clippers might be the smartest team ever because now everyone's going to tune in for the Paul George Kawhi Leonard debut. Like there's like 10 different debuts. It's like a soft opening, grand opening, like <laughs> post grand opening. Like it's fucking ridiculous. I know. Uh, who, do, who do they play next? I don't even remember. I know they play the Hawks at some point. Let me see. Where, where are the Clippers at? So they played they play last night, so they won't be playing tonight because last night was the second night of a back to back. Yeah, they play the Hawks on Saturday. Shit, mm. that'll, be, that'll be fun to watch. Hawks wish they had Luka. You know how bad the Eastern Conference is, bro, as I ignore your comment? The Hawks <laughs> are in the seventh place at four and seven. Uh, are yes. we going to have a team make the playoffs below 500 in the Eastern Conference? It's happened before. I could see it happening again. I mean, they're in the seventh spot at four, three games under 500. They're not in the, like the eighth spot. So are we, I mean, you know, that's leaving the door for two teams below 500 to make it. Or if some of these, you know, the three games under 500. So if some of these teams can turn it around. You might still have the eighth seed making it below 500. I mean, look at who they, it's Atlanta, Orlando, Charlotte, Cleveland, Brooklyn, Chicago, Detroit. They all have four wins. They're all at least four and seven or four and eight. I mean, which one of those teams do you think is going to magically turn it around and finish the season 10 games over 500? Detroit. Yeah, four and eight, bro. I don't know. And on the plus side, the Knicks are only two games out of the eight seed. So <laughs> See, there you go, man. <laughs> Keep the hope alive. <laughs> All right, bro. Uh, so we'll talk after the weekend. Hopefully some good shit will happen. Nobody gets hurt. Knock on wood. Nobody hits anybody over the head with a helmet? Yo. Oh wild that's wild <laughs> like yo what's like what's the equivalent to that in the nba like like chasing okay. somebody with a chair or They're like sh- throwing Dallas <laughs> yeah but i mean that's fans like this dude like yo if like that's real life like he's catching like at least five years like that's assault with a deadly weapon yeah, Miles, yeah I mean, Miles Garrett is a big fucking dude that's why you – I guess you can't have that equivalent in the NBA because you don't have, like, weapons at your ready disposal in the NBA unless you're Javaris Crittenton. But uh, <laughs> but I, it is kind of wild, though, because Steven Jackson ran into the stands and punched multiple paying fans in their faces and only got suspended for 35% of his season, you know, because the NBA obviously plays 82 games. He got suspended for 30 of them. Miles Garrett, you know, a helmet got ripped off, and then he swung said helmet at a dude's head. Like, is it bad? No doubt. But he got suspended for 37% of his season. He got he got his suspension was harsher than Steven Jackson's. I don't know. I don't know if that's act, like correct. You know what I mean? No, he's suspended indefinitely right now. So at minimum, it's the season and playoffs. Like yeah. at the max, so it could be life. <laughs> so like, 
It could be a Michael Vick situation. He killed dogs. Well, like, like which crazy. is really worse, what Steven Jackson did or what Miles Garrett did? I feel like it's probably Jackson. You know what I mean? I just feel like <laughs> feel like nowadays the 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 media and, and the social outrage that everybody either gets or is allowed to get, like for some reason we listen to what everybody says, force the NFL to kind of react. But uh, I mean, do you remember? Like, you know, I mean, shit, we're old now. It's probably like 10 years ago. But do you remember when Andre Johnson and Cortland Finnegan straight oh, ripped yeah. some helmets off and threw hands at midfield? Like, yeah. they each took turns. They ripped their helmets off and threw them, like, 20 yards away and then just started throwing hands. Neither of them got suspended a single game for yeah, that. It wasn't assault with a deadly weapon. Like, yeah, no. Miles Garrett is a big – like, one, you're Miles Garrett. You're defensive end in the, in the NFL. You're like the number one fucking pick. Like, what are you doing trying to assault a quarterback with a helmet? I think if it was like a, a lineman, people would be like, ah, whatever. Like, they're both big. But, like, I don't know. You can't do that, especially if you're a black man. You're going to get the book. Yeah. Why didn't Mason Rudolph get suspended, I wonder? It's weird. Well, same reason why Steve Nash went back-to-back MVPs. <laughs> Interesting. We'll save that for another pot. All right, man. <laughs> All right, brother. I'll talk to you. Have a good weekend. All right, peace. Hey, if you like what you hear, please give us a five-star review. Share it with your friends. Uh, again, we're just two dudes trying to make a podcast, trying to give you what you want. Uh, any feedback is greatly appreciated. Uh, thanks for listening and hope to see you soon.